morning, real life. My name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, we want to welcome you, like Joe said. And I want to welcome you into the series that we started uh, right after Thanksgiving called The Stories of Christmas. And we've been looking at the specific characters of the Christmas story. And as we've been going through that journey, we've been learning about different things about what God wants for us this Christmas. And I know that not only is this true for me personally, but I think it's true for, uh, I, I want it true for you as well as I want this to be the best Christmas ever for you. I hope you desire for that. I hope you long for that. And as I think back on my own life, on the best Christmas ever, like I have to begin to think back to when I was a kid. I remember when I was eight years old and the best Christmas ever in the early 90s, eight years old, as you know, of course, everybody at that time was a Cowboys fan in the early 90s because we dominated. We don't need to listen to Giants fans and the Eagles fans. So I was a huge Cowboys fan. And so I'll never forget eight years old when I woke up and came out of my room and I went into my living room and the Christmas lights were only on. It was dark. My mom and dad were awake and there stood a life-size cardboard cutout of Emmett Smith in my living room. And it was amazing. And I kept that thing in my room, clear up until I was a freshman in high school. And I realized this isn't cool to have in your, your room anymore. And I got rid of it, but I had the posters in my room. And then not only did I get the cardboard cutout of Emmett Smith, life size, but in addition to that, I got my own TV in my room. It was the most epic Christmas ever. And as I look back on that time, like as I've gotten older, my viewpoint of what makes the best Christmas ever, it's kind of changed. Early, as you know, for all of us when we're kids, it's about, it's about getting. But over time, you begin to learn about the words of Jesus when he says it's better to give than to receive. And so over time, my Christmases have been really been built upon that. It's like, what does it look like to actually give? And I'm beginning looking at what it looks like to give to my family while I was in the Bible college. And so, as you've heard a hundred times before, I gave my whole family Bibles one Christmas because that's what you do when you're in Bible college. You give Bibles away to your family. And then eventually, as I've gotten older and gotten married, um, the story of giving a ring to my wife and surprising her on Christmas morning. And now that I've got children, I'm buying gifts for them. And it's it's fun to give and to watch them give. And even last night, as uh, I do every single year around this time, I turned on Christmas Vacation on the TV and I watched my wife wrap the presents for my children because as we know as men, we're good at wrapping meat, but we're not good at wrapping presents, right? Like, let's just be honest here. And if you, women, if, you, if you're dating and you found a man that can wrap a present really, really well, when he proposes to you, you better say yes right away because that's a special, special gift that most men don't have. But as I watched my wife wrap the presents for our kids, it reminded me of how good it is to give when it comes to the best Christmas ever. I like to give because usually my gifts are tied to a story. They're tied to maybe a vision of what I wanna see for my children, what I wanna see for my wife, for my family, for my friends. It's tied to a story. And usually it's tied to good news. Good news that God wants for us. Good news that God desires for us. And I can't help to think about bringing that good news, what it would have been like for the angels to finally bring good news that Jesus is coming. I want you to think about this, that for, for, 
For years, for hundreds of years, prophecy was being lived out and being communicated that one day Jesus would come. But not only just that prophecy would be coming, that Jesus would come and be born, but in addition to that, that you would actually be able to pronounce it, you'd actually be able to exclaim it, you'd actually be able to communicate it. And that one moment, God says to the angels, all right, boys, it's time to go. And how excited they would have been to go and pronounce the good news that Jesus is coming. It's kind of like ordering Amazon, right? How many of you guys have been ordering Amazon the last couple of weeks, right? Like, that's fun, but it's way better when it shows up, right? And when we pick up the gospel story of Jesus being born in Luke chapter two, it says this, that Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, what to say, they were terrified. Why are they terrified? Well, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the shepherds, the lowest rung of society, rejected by the community, out in, out in the wilderness, and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears to them out of nowhere. You would be terrified as well. But to think about this reality that God is coming to speak to the outsiders of society, to the lowest rung, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, the good news, that God comes to those that are on the outside. And then we've got Joseph, a man who, if you think about it, overcame his fear, overcame his disappointment that he was engaged to marry and she's miraculously pregnant. You gotta think about the disappointment. You gotta think about the fear and the reality of his situation. Like, really? And until an angel appears to Joseph and says, no, it is true, he then overcome overcomes his fear, his worry, I'm guessing his disappointment, and he trusts that, entrusts that over to this, this angel who's communicated the, the real news that, no, Mary has been miraculously impregnated. She has not cheated on you. She's not committed adultery. And you gotta think about Joseph, as, as Roger talked about last week, the reality of like him taking on Mary and trusting that message eventually would lead to society going, Joseph, seriously? Really? You're still with her? Think about the amount of fear, disappointment that's involved in this story. Shepherds, Joseph, and then Mary, a peasant woman who had to overcome insecurity and questions about what people thought about her, what they gossiped about her, what they said about her when she left the room or left the community. Really, did you hear the story Mary said? (laughs) She's pregnant by an angel. Think about that. Think about of the amount of stuff that's going on in this story, and yet she chose to entrust herself to God. She chose to trust the story that God was telling in her life. Insecurity, disappointment, fear, questions, doubts, rejection. This is the baggage that's involved in the story of the nativity story of Jesus coming. This is the baggage that these characters are carrying. I want to ask you this morning, you carrying any baggage this morning? (laughs) Carrying any baggage this Christmas? 
Because if you are, you're in good company. You're in good company with the story of Jesus coming and being born. And yet the angels have an answer to the shepherd's fear, to Mary and Joseph. The angels have an answer. Did you see verse 10? The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why do they say that? Well, if you looked at all throughout the scripture, uh, oftentimes when angels show up, uh, people are terrified uh, because that doesn't happen very often. But in addition, angels in the Old Testament are actually described as beastly type of, 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 of beings. They're not like normally what we see, you know, malnourished people in our society that they're portrayed. These are, these are like warriors that show up and they're afraid. And yet they say, don't be afraid. The most commanded phrase in the Bible, 366 times, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, do not worry. It's throughout the whole scripture, the most commanded passage there is. Do not be afraid. And as I think back on what we've endured the last two or three years, I would argue that fear, worry, anxiety, it is not on the decrease, it is on the increase. Would you agree with that? If there's ever been a time for us to consider the words from the angels, do not be afraid. This Christmas season, do not be afraid. Today's the day we begin to look and say, what does that actually look like? To not live in fear. And to realize that fear is actually the opposite of faith. That fear causes you to keep your eyes on the situation, your eyes on the circumstance, your eyes on the family member, your eyes on what's going on all around you, but it does not call you like faith does to get your eyes off the situation, off the circumstance, but instead calls you to raise your eyes to Jesus, to entrust all those things that you're worrying about and to begin to fix your eyes on Jesus. The angels go on to say this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That word good news is the same word where we use the word gospel, euangelion. It's the message that we're here today, that we've sung this morning, that Jesus actually came. He really did come. And he was born of a virgin. And not only that he was born, but that he came and he lived as a man. And he walked like we walked. And he experienced all the things that we experienced, Scripture says. And he was tempted in every way, just like we've been tempted. But he did something that we have not done. He walked sinless. He walked blameless. Why? Because he knew that eventually he would take on the sins of the world, that he would offer himself as a sacrifice for you and I so that we could be reconciled back to God and reconciled back to people. And then we would begin to walk how he walked. And then as we walked, as he walked, the relationships would change. The relationships would be defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And even when we mess up on those, and even when we're not perfect on those, he still loves us and forgives us and because of the debt that he paid our sin is covered our sin is covered and so the angels proclaim i come to bring you good news that brings great joy for all people what i love about that is today we're celebrating the fulfillment of the promises that god has been saying from the very very beginning i I'm a, still a sports guy, and so anybody enjoy college football? Anybody enjoy college football? Some of you, okay. There's a big coach right now that's making a big transition uh, from Jackson State to Colorado. Who is that coach? That's 
Deion Sanders. And if you didn't watch, I think it was about a week ago or two weeks ago, he went to his new team, Colorado Buffaloes, and he kept saying this phrase over and over again through his speech. And this was the phrase. It was, I'm coming. I got to take care of Jackson State first, but I'm coming. Through the whole speech, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. I'm coming. I'm coming. And if maybe you don't resonate with that, I'm coming, but maybe you will resonate with this. As you play hide-and-go-seek as a young child, you would count down, and at the end of the countdown, you'd say, ready or not, here I come. And the reality is, is the birth of Jesus, Jesus has been telling us from the very beginning, I'm coming, I'm coming. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is the story of mankind rejecting God, not trusting him, <laughs> And God comes and has a conversation with Adam and Eve, and he says this to the serpent. He says, you are going to be cursed, and you're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to strike his heel, but he is going to crush your head. Who's he? It's Jesus. What's Jesus saying? What's, what's God saying in Genesis? I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. Not only in Genesis, but this passage, Isaiah chapter 7, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, Isaiah chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. What's Jesus saying? I'm coming. I'm coming. Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. What's God saying? With Jesus saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. And lastly, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim the freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Are you mourning this morning? Are you mourning because this is your first Christmas without your loved one? Are you mourning because you wish your family was one and whole together? Are you mourning this morning over the weight and reality that you are a sinner? I want to tell you, Jesus is here to tell you, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Good news, it will cause great joy. Not happiness, which is built on happenstance or circumstance, but instead joy. Joy that is rooted in the promises of God that he will bring joy for all people. And it doesn't matter this morning if you're white collar, blue collar, got your car hearts on if you're poor if you're rich if you're powerful if you're insignificant he's come to bring you joy to all people and this is the good news that jesus has been bringing good news the faith hope peace joy and love into the world since the moment he created the world since the very moment he's been bringing it and he's been saying i'm coming i'm coming I'm coming. And not only did Jesus come, but his word says that there will come a day that he comes back and he makes a new heavens and a new earth. And so even to this moment right now, as we celebrate Christmas, the reality is Jesus saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Now what's awesome is for until that moment, until, until that time where Jesus comes back, we as God's people, we get to bring faith hope, peace, and joy in the proclamation of the good news. 
And just like the Magi, the wise man, who, by the way, uh, any nativity scene that's got the wise man in it, that is not correct according to Scripture, just so you know. They came years later. And if you don't know, take a look at the Scripture. So when you drive down the road and you see the wise man on that lit up nativity scene, like, that, that's not right. And you make sure you go knock on the door and tell him, okay? <laughs> the shepherds were there, but the wise men came later. But the wise men, they brought what to Jesus? They brought gifts. And so for us, gifts are a picture of, of the nativity story where we get to bring gifts to one another. Now, oftentimes we, we worship the gifts. That's not the point, but we still can do gifts. I'm not anti-gift, right? Because it's tied to the story. It's tied to the good news. And so for us as a church during Christmas time, we get the opportunity to bring gifts to people. We have the opportunity to actually bless people. Like a family that came to us and said, I live in an impoverished community. I would like to host all of them over to my house. Nine families. And I would like to share the good news of the gospel and ask for us as a church, we would be willing to give a gift card to each family just to help them. And she was expecting you know, $25 per family, but we decided out of our benevolence fund, $100 for each family. And so she was overwhelmed to the point of tears and her community was impacted. Why? Because we were able to give the good news as a gift and generosity to this community. A homeless man who needed a sleeping bag. We gave to him. A family that's trying to make ends meet. A $500 gift card. But what makes this Christmas probably one of the most impactful for me is we've got a family in our church who um, serves here in our church, committed to our church, core member of our church, who his father is fighting for his life found out that he needed a double lung transplant. And if you don't know what a double lung transplant entails, it, it means stopping what he's doing right now and not working because if his heart gets overworked, his heart could lead to heart failure. Not only in waiting for a lung transplant, double lung transplant, it is a six-month recovery at the hospital. No work, no income. And they've been looking at potentially raising up funds. And so we've been praying as a church, what does it look like for us to, to bless this family? What does it look like to bless Carlos and his father? And so we decided to take money out of our benevolence fund and to go to worship and AVL team. And they donated to it as well. And so today we get to offer a check of over $2,400 to Carlos and his family and his dad because of your guys' generosity, because you believe in the good news and you believe you're called to bless families. And so this morning, Carlos, would you be willing to come forward and as we give you this check for your father and for your family? And we can celebrate that, right? So the story gets better. Was it two days ago? Yeah, two, three days ago. Two, three days ago. Um, some lungs came in, and he had surgery, and right now he's in ICU recovering. and still has a long road ahead, right? Yeah. But, Lord willing, he's going to be on the other side of this and have many more years to come. And so we want to praise God for that this morning, right? Okay. This is what we get to do as Jesus' church because we believe in the good news. They were called to bless our community and bless people that are hurting and that are struggling. 
And so for us this Christmas, what makes the best Christmas ever? We bring good news. We give, we don't receive. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Story goes on to say in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, says this. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He says this to the shepherds. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. I want you to look at this last sentence. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests what does that mean that this Christmas season I believe if you want to experience the best Christmas ever it's a recognition that peace has been given to you Peace for you. 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 And peace for you. And peace for you. And peace for you. That every single one of us can experience the peace that God has given us. That you, just like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, you can experience peace by trading in rejection, insecurity, fear, anger, disappointment. That you can exchange your doubts and exchange them for faith and hope in Jesus. And it's really just a couple easy steps. The first one is this, is that you would actually admit that you're a sinner, that you are in need of a savior in grace, that you would admit that you need a Messiah. And for some of you this morning, you go, I don't need that. I would say, you think that because you're prideful. But Jesus says that blessed are those who are humbled Would you be willing to admit that you need a savior? Would you be willing to believe that Jesus actually came and died for you? And that you'd be willing to confess him publicly that Jesus is who he says he is. He came and he died for you. And then the last one is that you would decide to be baptized into him, that you would say, my life is gone my old life my old way of living i'm gonna die i'm gonna be put down under water and i'm gonna be resurrected like jesus was resurrected want to experience the best christmas ever make jesus lord make jesus lord and give your life to him i want to invite you just to bow your head this morning and as you bow your head if there's any of you this morning 
that are ready to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're ready to entrust your life over to him, you're ready to give your doubts, fears, worries, questions, and exchange that for faith in Jesus. Maybe you've come this morning and you've walked away from Jesus and now he's calling on you to recommit your life to him and you want to recommit or commit to him for the very first time and that's something that you feel called to do. I just want to invite you, would you raise your hand right now as we pray over you? Does anybody want to accept Jesus this morning? Recommit their life to Jesus.